Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I will heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Good morning, church. The Lord be with you. Now, most of you if not all, are familiar with this picture of a lady. It first appeared in a postcard in the late 19th century in Germany. Now, what do you see in this picture? Some of us, at first glance, see an old lady. But others may see a young girl. Now, in a similar way, when it comes to Jesus, some people will look at Jesus' teaching and look at his works and they come to the conclusion that Jesus is just a good man, and he's a good teacher, but he is not God. Yet there are others who come to a different conclusion. When they look at Jesus, they see God in Jesus, and they believe in him. So how do we explain the different conclusions about Jesus that people come to? Why do some people believe while others don't? So this is a question we will explore this morning as we study the closing verses of chapter 12 of John's Gospel. Uh, We will not return to John's Gospel until the new year. Uh, This is because, as Alan uh, has said, uh, Melin and I will be away for three weeks in Singapore. And when we return, there will be the series of Advent uh, sermons leading up to Christmas. Uh, so, in the new year, we will continue with chapter three, uh, chapter 13. But for this morning, uh, we will finish with chapter 12. Now, chapter 12 marks the end of, public, uh, of Jesus' public ministry. And so, it is fitting that the Apostle John gives an overall assessment of the impact of Jesus' public ministry. So after three years of teaching and performing miracles, uh, many believe in Jesus. 
But there are also many who do not believe in Jesus. And so John records for us in verse 37, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. And so there are people who would not believe in Jesus. So why would they not believe in Jesus despite the many miracles he did? And John will give us a primary reason and a secondary reason for the unbelief of the Jews. But first, let us pause for a moment to consider a relevant issue. And this relates to the place of miracles in conversion, uh, in evangelism today. Now, in some Christian churches, there is an emphasis on the display of miracles in evangelism. And they call this form of evangelism power evangelism. Power evangelism in contrast to traditional evangelism. Now, traditional evangelism involves the proclamation of the gospel and the use of rational arguments to appeal to the minds and the, the hearts of the people. But conversions is often slow with, tradition, uh, with traditional evangelism. Now, the proponents of power evangelism argue that the slow conversion is because there are key obstacles in people's lives that prevent them from exercising faith to become a Christian. And these key obstacles include a personal illness, a personal problem, or even, domestic, or, or even demonic oppression. And they argue that traditional evangelism does not remove these obstacles. But power evangelism, with its miracles of healing and exorcism, will remove the key obstacles in people's lives, and this opens the way for them to more readily believe in Jesus. So that's the argument. And so, should we embrace power evangelism to produce greater conversion rates? Well, I think not, because there are two problems with power evangelism. The first is the question of the authenticity of the miracles. Now, many of the healings are for ailments that are relatively minor, and the claims to miraculous healings are often not fully verified. And so there is doubt that the miracles are real miracles. And the second problem is the theology of conversion. Uh, they have a wrong theology of conversion. The, power, the proponents of power evangelism believe that preaching the gospel alone is, not, is often not enough. It needs to be boosted by miracles to produce faith. But this, is, this we know from Scripture is wrong theology. Scripture tells us that the gospel itself is God's power for salvation. And we are never told in Scripture 
that miracles are God's means for converting unbelievers. And in fact, we have John uh, telling us in verse 37 that even the miracles of Jesus in themselves are not enough to produce faith. But we know that the miracles of Jesus are not primarily to produce faith. As we have said before, the miracles of Jesus are to point people to his divinity. And that is why John uses the word signs to describe Jesus' miracles. So we've got to ask the question, if miracles themselves do not produce faith, what will produce faith? Well, the answer from Scripture is, it is God himself. God, the Holy Spirit, has to give us the new birth. And we learned that in chapter 3. That with the new birth comes the gift of faith. And with that faith, our eyes will then see the miracles of Jesus as attesting to his divinity. Our ears will hear the words of Jesus as truth and life. And with the faith, we believe. And without the work of God in us to make us spiritually alive and give us the faith, we will remain in unbelief. And this is what John wants to tell us. And so he says the primary reason for unbelief is that God has willed it. If faith is a gift from God, God has chosen not to give the gift of faith to some people. And so these people remain in their unbelief. Now I know that this may be hard for many of us to accept, but this is what Scripture teaches, John says. And what scripture says, God says. And so John quotes two passages from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. The first is taken from Isaiah chapter 53, and it asks the question, Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, this question presupposes that there are people who would not believe Isaiah's message. And why would they not believe? Well, the second passage from Isaiah gives the answer. And in verse 40, John says, um, the reason why these people would not believe is that he has blinded, he referring to God. God has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. So the reason why people would not believe and could not believe is because God has blinded them and God has hardened their hearts so that they are prevented from believing. Now, as I said, this is going to be a hard uh, teaching. It seems odd, doesn't it? 
we would think that God wants everyone to believe in Him and be saved. So why would God prevent people from believing in Jesus? Well, to answer this, we need to understand the background of the passage from Isaiah. And, as we, and, and this passage is taken from chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah. Now, you may remember reading chapter 6 of Isaiah, um, and it records uh, Isaiah's vision of the Lord in the temple. Uh, and John tells us that, uh, in verse 41, John tells us that uh, it was the pre-incarnate Christ that Isaiah saw in the vision. So that's why uh, John says Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. And so in the vision, Isaiah receives God's call. He receives God's call to go and preach to the Israelites of his time. But God tells Isaiah that the message will no longer be a call for the people to repent. Instead, Isaiah will bring a message of judgment, a message of judgment on the rebellious Israelites. What has been happening is that despite the, the, the previous calls to repentance, the Israelites have repeatedly refused to reform their idolatrous worship, and they refuse to put away their unjust, unjust practices. And so as a result, God will now give them over to their sinful ways. If this is what you want, God says you can continue in your sin, but you will receive your due judgment. And part of the judgment is that they will be prevented from believing. That is why the Israelites in Isaiah's day would not and could not believe. And the same judgment has fallen on the Jews in Jesus' days. The, Jewish, the Jews and the leaders refused to repent of their hypocrisy. And they refused to acknowledge that Jesus is Christ, is the Messiah. And they refused to put away their murderous intent to have Jesus killed. And so as a result, God gives them over to their sinfulness, to their stubbornness, to their evil intent. And that is why John says the unbelief of the Jews is a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. And this has application for us today. In evangelism, we cannot force people to believe in Jesus. We cannot manipulate their emotion or their guilt so that they will come up to the front and receive Jesus. And we cannot falsify miracles to influence people to become Christians. No. What we should do is to faithfully proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the gospel clearly and boldly. And we should always pray 
that God in His mercy will grant the people the faith to believe. And if some people keep rejecting the gospel, we must not take their rejection personally. It may be that God has come, or it may be that they have already come under God's judgment. It may be that they want to live their own lives without any regard or any reference to God. And so God says, all right, you have it your way. And God gives them over to their unbelief. And so unbelief or persistent unbelief is primarily a judgment of God. But there is a secondary reason for unbelief. Now, some people may want to believe and they seem to be keen to believe, but when they fear men more than they fear God, they will opt for unbelief. And John tells us this is what happens to some of the Jewish leaders. Look at verses 42 and 43. John says that yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. And now it seems that some of the Jewish leaders have believed in Jesus, but they are silent believers. And they are silent because they will not openly declare their faith in Jesus for fear that they will be expelled from the synagogue. And for a leader to be expelled from the synagogue means a loss of their reputation, a loss of faith, a loss of reputation, a loss of their position, and a loss of their power. And so this cost is too high for these leaders because they love human praise more than the praise from God. So they hesitate to come, for, come forward and come out as believers in Jesus. Now you may ask, who are these leaders? And I think John has probably in mind Nicodemus. Now, we learned about Nicodemus back in chapter 3 when he came in the dark, in the night, uh, to see Jesus, to learn more from him. Now, John also has in mind Joseph of Arimathea, who is a member of the Sanhedrin Council. Now, though Nicodemus and Joseph are initially secret disciples, they eventually identified themselves publicly with Jesus when both of them arranged for a decent burial for Jesus' body. And John will tell us in uh, the chapter, later chapter. And John will tell us that Jesus asked, um, or rather, Joseph asked Pilate for the body of Jesus following the crucifixion. And Nicodemus helps. Joseph carried Jesus' body to the tomb and he supplies the embalming spices for the burial. And so both Joseph and Pilate, they were 
they are not afraid to come up as Jesus' side, come up on Jesus' side at the appropriate time. And so we can learn a lesson here. There is a cost in following Jesus. The cost may be our reputation among our colleagues. And our colleagues may, may, may call us bigots and brainless if we say we are Christians. It may cost us our relationships. And this applies especially for believers from Muslim background who may be rejected by their family once they declare that they are Christians. But following Jesus may also cost us our job, as has happened recently to the newly appointed CEO of the Essendon Football Club. And of course, we know that in some countries, following Jesus may cost us may cost the lives of Christians. Now, we may try to lessen the cost by remaining silent about our faith. And there are times that we may need to be silent. For example, in countries that openly persecute Christians, it would be prudent to not publicly announce that we are Christians. Rather, it would be wise to be silent and yet not deny our faith. Now, however, we cannot remain silent forever. We cannot be totally secret disciples of Jesus. Because to remain as anonymous Christians is the same as being an unbeliever. So at some stage, we must identify ourselves as Christians. We must identify ourselves with Christ. And we must overcome our fear of man and fear God instead. And we must desire God's praise more than the praise of man. And so we must be willing to bear whatever the cost of following Jesus is. And in this way, we prove ourselves to be his true followers. Now, how else can we tell if we are true believers of Christ? Well, in verses 44 to 45, uh, sorry, in verses 44 to 50, Jesus gives us three criteria, three tests, by which we can check ourselves whether we are true believers. The first, criteria is, the first criterion is this. The believers, true believers, believe that Jesus is God. When we look at Jesus, we see God. And Jesus says this about himself in verse 45. Oops, have I done something? Verse 45? Yeah. Um, Jesus says, the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. And that's referring to God the Father. And, and we know that as we studied through John Gospel, since the beginning of his earthly ministry, uh, Jesus has been claiming equality with God. And he backs up his claim by doing what only God can do. And furthermore, Jesus tells us that he has been sent 
by God the Father. So the implication here is the reality of the Trinity. It is Jesus himself who teaches us the reality of the Trinity. And that there are three persons in the one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Son is sent by the Father. And they are so closely related that to believe in the Son is to believe in the Father. To believe in Jesus is to believe in God. So our faith in Jesus is not faith in a human person. It is not just faith in a prophet, but it is faith in God. To have faith in Jesus is to have faith in God. To see Jesus is to see God. In fact, Jesus would later claim that the only way to know God is through him. So this is the first criterion of true believers. True believers see Jesus as God. The second criterion is this. True believers do not stay in darkness, but they stay in the light. So Jesus says this in verse 6. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So believers will always be in the light. So Jesus had earlier in the gospel claimed to be the light of the world. And now Jesus says that he has come into the world as a light. His followers should not stay in darkness, but in the light. So what does Jesus mean by this? Now we know that in John's Gospel, the light versus darkness metaphor uh, is used to convey three realities. One, light represents salvation, while darkness represents judgment. Two, light represents truth, while darkness represents falsehood and lies. And three, light represents godly living, while darkness represents sinful and evil living. So Jesus is saying that he brings salvation to those who believe in him. And in Jesus, believers have the truth. And believers will pursue godly living. And so, loving the, so this morning, as believers, let us ask ourselves, are we people who are in the light? Are we people who love the truth? Are we, or do we pursue godly living? Well, loving the truth means loving scripture, loving God's word. So let me ask you, how is your Bible reading? Do you have a plan for daily reading? Or do you just read only when you have time? Which is not very often. So what about your pursuit of godly living? Do you seek to please God in all that you do? Or do you allow your mind and your heart to be influenced by the world so that your desire is for worldly living 
your worldly pleasures. So brothers and sisters, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, we must stay and we must walk in the light. As the Apostle Paul says, we must not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And our mind is only renewed by God's word. So do not neglect the reading and the studying of scripture. And you must make that a priority. Come to the third criterion of a true believer. So we have said that the first criterion is that we believe Jesus is God. The second criterion is that we must stay and walk in the light. And the third criterion is this. We must obey Jesus' words. Now it is not good enough to listen to Jesus, to what he has to say. We must also put his words into practice. We must obey Jesus' words. So look at verses 47 to 50. So Jesus says, If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So what Jesus is saying is this, that his words are the words of the Father. And so they are true. So anyone who hears Jesus' words but do not keep them or do not obey them, well, they may get away with, with it. They may not face judgment now, but at the end of the age, at the last day, they will be condemned. But those who keep and obey Jesus' words will, lead, will be led into eternal life. So those who do not obey Jesus' words will not see life. But those who obey Jesus' words will be led into eternal life. So friends, every Sunday we hear the words of Jesus. But sadly, there may be some of us who do not obey them. Jesus says to put God first in our lives. But we often put ourselves first. Jesus says to look after the interests of our neighbours. But we often look only to our own interests. Jesus says to deny yourselves of worldly things that may harm your spiritual lives. But we think we can have the cake and eat it. So we may call ourselves believers, but if we do not obey Jesus' words, we will not inherit eternal life. And if we are honest with ourselves, all of us are guilty of not keeping some of Jesus' words. And so there is a need 
for repentance. So let us therefore confess our failure to obey and let us call on Jesus and invite him to take first place in our hearts. And when we put Jesus first place in our hearts, we put God first place in our heart. And when God is first in our hearts, we will want to pursue godly living. And godly living means that we will love our neighbours and look to their interests. And, we love, and when we love our neighbours in a sacrificial way, we will know that we are true believers. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you kept your promise to put a new heart and a new spirit in each of your children who believes in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Forgive us for the times that we have not obeyed the words of Jesus. And we look to you for strength to obey and look to you for strength to do all that we ourselves are incapable of doing. By the power of your Spirit, please sanctify us through your word. Help us to stay and walk in the light. And may we always pursue godliness with contentment and be found true believers of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.